Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Julius Bear's Moving Markets podcast. It's Thursday, the 29th of June, and my name is Helen Freer. So the central bank chiefs are still in Sintra. On today's show, I'll be talking about this and more market news with my colleague, Mike Rauber. Then Carsten Menko will update us on the silver market and what the energy transition means for the demand for silver. But let's start with the latest market news. Good morning, Mike. So the global economy and inflation have so far proved surprisingly resilient to the barrage of interest rate increases that we've seen. And top central bankers yesterday promised more of the same on interest rate hikes at the ECB forum in Sintra. What did they say, Mike? Can you give us the key points? Yeah, good morning, Helen. Uh, Yes, happily. Uh, In their inflation fight, Federal Reserve Chair Powell, ECB President Lajard and Bank of England Governor Bailey all said they had ways to go in raising rates. Specifically, Powell said that he would not rule out increasing rates in consecutive meetings. Lajard suggested that an ECB rate increase next month was a virtual certainty and Bailey vowed to do what was necessary to bring inflation back to 2%. Interestingly also, Powell, so the chair of the US Federal Reserve, said that core inflation may fall to 2% perhaps only in 2025, or to quote him, we are a long way to go, indicating that rates will have to stay higher for longer. The Bank of Japan, Sueda, was the one exception, emphasizing that Japan's rates are on hold because underlying inflation remains below 2%. But it was noticeable that he provided a scenario for a potential change in its policy, noting that if the central bank becomes more confident that 2% price gains will materialize next year. Looking at the market reaction, I can see that bond yields didn't move up on the comments by the Fed, ECB and the Bank of England. What do you make of this? I mean, central banks can undoubtedly drive markets with their comments and policy decisions, right? Yes, indeed, absolutely. And that's, they've proven so uh, many times. But uh, by bond yields falling at the margin yesterday on the comments uh, just that I just highlighted, it can be seen that much of what they said must have been discounted in the bond market. Although uh, if we look at currencies there, we see some gains in the US dollar on the remark made by Chairman Powell. And in equity markets, we saw Europe mostly in the green, while all major US equity indices were little changed. Uh, Taking a closer look at the S&P 500, there we see a slide in chip makers following a report that the Biden administration plans to tighten export control for some AI chips. But this was also offset by advances in tech mega caps. And uh, not to forget, Apple closed at a record high. Yesterday, the results of the annual stress test done by the U.S. Central Bank for the 23 largest U.S. banks were released. Good to hear that they all passed the stress test. Can you provide a bit more detail here, please, Mike? Yes, after this year's turmoil, that's indeed good news. And it showed that the 23 largest banks in the U.S. can withstand a severe global recession and a turmoil in the real estate market. Uh, it is now expected that many banks will hold off on announcing potential payouts via dividend increases or share buybacks as they are awaiting more clarity on new capital requirements that have been in the working for some time now. But this did not keep some um, of the bank shares rising between 1% and 2% in late trading yesterday, just highlighting JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo. 
But uh, Helen, don't forget the stress test did not involve many mid-sized US bank that some would argue are in real need of stress tests. Okay. And what about Asian markets this morning? I see the Nikkei 225 is just slightly in the green, while Hong Kong's Hang Seng index is down around 1.3%. What's the news there? Yeah, in fact, yes, uh, Asian stocks are mostly lower as upward momentum in Japan is slowing, even though retail sales were reported to have risen a greater than expected 1.3%. And as you pointed out, shares in Hong Kong are also lower. The Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan are in focus in Asia amid concerns from authorities in both countries about weakness in their currencies. The offshore yuan slipped about 0.2%, and this is even as China stepped in to support the currency for a third time this week via a stronger-than-expected setting of its daily reference rate. And last question for you, Mike. What are we expecting today? Any data to look out for? Yes, uh, there's some uh, interesting ones with Sweden's Riksbank. Uh, so the Sweden's central bank is widely expected to increase its policy rate by a quarter point to 3.75%. We will also get German inflation data, which is expected to come in at 6.8%. Uh, interestingly, Germany's largest state by population, Nordrhein-Westfalia, already reported that its inflation and it rose 6.2% on the year in June up from 5.7% in May. So look at to the reaction in the bond and currency markets when the German inflation data is released. And in the US, there is US GDP data and initial jobless claims will be out. They are in focus as jobless claims have jumped this month and so investors will want to see whether there is some softness in the labor market. Uh, don't forget that the labor, the strong labor market is really what is keeping up uh, consumption in the US. And that's all from me. Back to you, Ellen. Okay, plenty going on. Great. Thanks a lot, Mike. Now, Carsten, thank you for joining the podcast this morning. Let's talk about silver. So how did silver fare during the first half of the year? I remember you saying that it was moving in gold slipstream. Did this hold true? Good morning, Helen. Yeah, yes, it did. Uh, so for most of this year, silver has really been moving uh, in gold slipstream, initially benefiting from rising U.S. recession risks and expectations of a rapid reversal in U.S. monetary policy. But also mirroring gold's moves, prices have come under pressure subsequently as the U.S. economy remained very resilient, as we know, causing concerns among short-term and speculative traders who were betting on higher prices based on lower interest rates. And as we've heard before from Mike, uh, central bankers are rather uh, on the path of hiking interest rates. So silver is now down around 13% from this year's highs compared to 7% for gold. And this setback indeed shows that despite a sizable share of industrial demand, silver very much like gold behaves like a monetary metal, whose dominant drivers are the US dollar, US interest rates, and investment demand. You just mentioned silver's industrial applications, and one of those is solar modules. Could you give us a bit of the background information here? How has this developed over the last few years when we saw a strong rise in the number of solar installations worldwide? And what's our outlook? Sure. So because of its excellent electrical conductivity, silver is a key component of solar modules. That said, at the same time, silver is quite expensive as a metal, which is why there has always been substitution and thrifting in the past few years. And to illustrate that point, 
Global solar installations are up 13-fold during the past 10 years, while silver solar demand has risen only fourfold. At the moment, the share of an energy transition-related demand from solar modules is around 11% of total silver demand. And this is based on last year's installations of around 250 gigawatts of global solar power production capacity. Looking ahead, we believe that installations will rise to 350 gigawatts by 2030 and then plateau on that level. Why do you see this plateauing and what does that mean for silver? Well, this plateauing is due to various constraints, including the power grid, power storage, but also economics. So what we see at the moment is some sort of self-cannibalization where very low prices during peak production hours are well, lowering power prices and then curbing the incentive to build new power plants. So on sunny days, like we had them during the past few weeks, we have very, very low power prices at the moment. And we thus believe that the share of silver solar demand should rise towards 15% by 2030, suggesting that it will be an important source of demand, but that structural shortages as they are propagated by some are very unlikely. So in our view, silver should remain a monetary metal. Uh, it should still move in gold slipstream and uh, with that in mind, remain neutral for now and don't see a buying opportunity despite this recent correction. Great. Thanks very much, Carsten, for the update. So that is all for today. Thanks very much to today's guests and thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and please also leave us a review on whichever platform you like to listen on. We would love to hear your feedback. And do join us again tomorrow when I'll be speaking to more of our colleagues, including Tim Gagey, who will update us on currency markets. Until then, have a great day, everyone, and bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer. We would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.